you remember the good old days when all you had to worry about was getting your homework done and getting home before curfew? Before you had to worry about jobs, projects, working, when you could long for a summer vacation and a winter break? Well, this is the podcast for when you realize that life can be hard. Hold on one moment. <sighs> Finally, he's gone. The last thing I need to hear is him plugging another podcast. Come take a listen to my show, Adulting Ain't Easy, every other Wednesday on the Journey into Comics Network. The following, the following is a journey into comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Poor360, the show that covers topics of importance, and I thought what a better way to spend this week's episode would be to discuss the 2020 election. Go a little more detail about what will be the Democratic candidates, kind of where they stand, where they're falling in the polls, what are probably some of the big um, platforms that are going to be prevalent, and that's what a better way to spend episode 23 and then episode 24 will be on uh, Donald Trump as the incumbent. So we're running and see kind of where he stands on those same fields. So let's jump right in. This might be a little bit shorter episode. If you listen to uh, Adult Ultimate Easy tomorrow as you're listening to this, um, you can understand why this will be a little bit short. But I want to get you the information and then get you along to back to your Tuesday. So here is an article from Vox, which is on the... 2020, kind of the election polls, kind of where everyone's falling. But before I really get into that, I want to say that I actually recording probably from my future place, which is my office. Liz, while I was away for work last week, got the office, my uh, our office painted. I have a desk in it, a chair. It's slowly coming together, and it'll be all recording. And I think once I get some more furniture in here, it won't sound as echoey, which I think is the problem we have right now. But it looks great. I like it. I have some space. I can't wait to get it a little more organized. I have all my files and all my work stuff and just ready for it to be a really good space. And I'm looking forward to that. So I wanted to give a quick shout out to that before I got in. So in case you noticed that the sound's a little different than usual. And more different than last week where I recorded from the hotel room because I was I had traveled for work. And traveling, as you listen, already be in South Carolina for work again. So... Lots of fun there. But getting back to what we're talking about, and this is the 2020 election. This is kind of where the Democrats' candidates are polling right now. So what we have here, so former Vice President Joe Biden is still leading the Democratic primary, which isn't surprising. He was Obama's VP. He's a pretty consistent record. Yes, he has run for president in the past, and it hasn't gone great. Yes, he's up against... Um, Bernie Sanders, who obviously ran in 2016 uh, against Hillary Clinton for the primary for the Democratic slot and got pretty close. There was just some issues with some other things. So, But these are also older men that are running versus also an older man running with Donald Trump. So here we have, so former Vice President Joe Biden is leading, um, but there's some soft spots in the foundation according to a group of polls released in recent days. Meanwhile, Senator Bernie Sanders has plateaued and Senator Elizabeth Warren is surging. Senator Kamala Harris and South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete uh, Buttigieg, 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 I don't know how to practice pronounce his last name, 
Let's say Buttigieg. I think that sounds right. Holding steady right behind the top three. At the same time, President Trump sure looks to be in some trouble as he prepares to formally launch his re-election campaign. Several new 2020 national polls told the same story on the Democratic candidate. Both Fox News and Economist YouGov polls found Biden in the front with about 30%, Sanders in second, and Warren in third. Here are the longer-term trend lines from Clear Politics. And I'm obviously you're listening, so you can't actually see these polls. Uh, Biden Sanders support have flagged. Warren is on the rise, and uh, Buttigieg and Harris cut above the rest of the field. So if you can see the chart here, it shows that Biden, yeah, has 31 and a half. He's kind of been ticking upward, but he hasn't, he's kind of hovered around 30 for a while. It peaked at 40 back in May, and it was kind of settling back down about where he started, about the low 30s. Um, Sanders has been kind of following the same trajectory, just in the 15 to 20%, up to 25, and now it's kind of back down into like the 15.8, so mid-15s. And then you see um, Warren. She kind of started low, but she's actually ticked up a lot, and she's actually almost meeting up with uh, Sanders. So, against news there. And then you have, like, Harris and uh, Buttigieg both kind of filling back and forth. We see that they've, they're they kind of alternating. They're kind of, when one goes down, the other one goes up kind of thing. And they're both really about even at this point. And then everyone else is just kind of a cluttered mess at the bottom. So, so national visits are of limited value, but the story seems to be the same in early primary states. Some more nuanced polling asking Democrat primary voters about their comfort with given candidate also suggests some erosion for Biden and Sanders, while others like Warren and Buttigieg are growing in voters' estimation. So meanwhile, the polling for Trump continues to look bad. It's too early to draw any conclusions about Trump's re-election bid just yet. But he's underwatering the key battleground states that were key to his victory last time. His approval rating is so low, his internal polling keeps leaking, and it keeps looking terrible, and while head-to-head polling is of limited value this early in the game, he appears to be losing to every Democratic candidate in a potential 2020 matchup. The current 2020 Democratic primary polling briefly explained, so the national polling, to borrow from 538's Nate Silver, suggests at least four, maybe five tiers of 2020 Democratic candidates. Um, so we have Joe Biden at 31.5%. He's all by himself still holding a substantial lead in both national surveys and most of the early primary state polls. Then you have Bernie Sanders with 15.8% and Elizabeth Warren with 12.8%, which is pretty close, all things considered. Uh, Sanders is still Biden's top rival, but Warren has regularly come in second and third in both national and state surveys for a little while now. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, she's up with the number two spot or even getting up to the number one spot and rivaling Biden, so they kind of back and forth for the primary. Buttigieg, which is still kind of that out there candidate I don't quite understand, and Kamala Harris, which is still very promising. They're both in the uh, mid-seven points. Um, uh, Stolen heading, so they're both kind of back and forth. Then you have uh, Beto O'Rourke with 3.5 and, and Cory Booker with 2.3. Um, so not very much there. And then everyone else is kind of low on that list. So Democrats don't have a national primary, so national polls are useful only as a general gauge of support. But the polling of early primary states tell the most of the same tale. So Biden 31%, Warren at 17, Sanders at 16, Harris at 10, Buttigieg at 8, O'Rourke at 5, Booker at 2, and uh, Klobuchar, 2%. Uh, the tiers hold up. The same can be said of new polling for South Carolina with Biden at 37, Warren at 17, Buttigieg at 11, Sanders and Harris at 9. Then in California with Biden with 22, Warren with 18, Sanders with 17, Harris with 13, Buttigieg with 10, and then Iowa has Biden at 30, 
Sanders with 22, Warren with 12, and Buttigieg uh, 11, and Harris at 5. So they're kind of they're just kind of alternating. It seems like depending on where the poll is. So um, here's someone someone tweeted actually this is that um, since March um, Biden went from seventy seven percent. The de- sorry, this is not really a poll. This is the percent of Democratic primary voters who are enthusiastic or comfortable with. So in March. Um, Biden was about 77%. In June, he's down to 66%. Sanders, at the same trade, dropped about 6%. Warren went up about 7%, and then it kind of goes from there. So um, so we haven't really had a Democratic primary debate yet. I know that's still kind of on the horizon, but it seems to be Biden, Sanders, and Warren kind of Working it out here, we'll kind of see how they flip-flop and what happens. I'm sure there's going to be some that's going to come out that'll probably derail someone or shift. We'll have to see if one of them tries to go for president, one of them tries to go for VP. But with all these older candidates, I can't imagine someone wanting the VP slot to with a plan to take on the presidency in a later election. Because 48 years from now, I really don't see this working out. So... And like I said earlier in this, so Donald Trump is not doing great against a lot of the 2020 matchups he's had. So, a June 11th Quinnipiac poll showed Trump losing 40 to 53 to Joe Biden. He's also down 51 42 to Sanders, 41 to 49 to Kamala Harris, 42 to 49 to Elizabeth Warren, 42 to 47 to Pete Buttigieg, and 42 to 47 to Cory Booker. All plausible contenders at this moment can take heart in the fact that. Just 40-40% of the population feels like voting for Trump's re-election. This, the public is mostly saying that they want to vote for any Democrat, and the strongest pattern so far indicates better-known Democrats do better than the more obscure ones. So now this means that Trump is sure about to lose the election in 2020. Public opinion can change fast. There's nothing particularly predictive about pulling this far out, but it's a pretty clear snapshot of public opinion right now. So the Trump 2020 campaign's own internal polling also keeps leaking to political reporters, and it doesn't look good. So uh, ABC says that it has data from the Trump's first internal re-election campaign poll, and it found Biden leading Trump by 16 in Pennsylvania, by 10 in Wisconsin, by 7 in Florida, and but actually and then Trump is leading Biden by 2 in Texas. So getting some of that there. Um, the Trump campaign has said that those numbers are out of date, and Trump has disavowed them on Twitter. With news originally, he has fired several other several of his pollsters over the leaks. Now, you as a wise and seasoned monitor of campaign polls might think it's ridiculous to be polling November 2020 general election matchups in June 2019 before the first Democratic primary debates, and you, dear reader, would be right to think that, but some of the other indicators for Trump's re-election are equally dismal. Trump is still really unpopular. He's generally quite unpopular in the most important electoral battleground states, too. So some of the raw numbers that we have, um, New Hampshire, he's uh, at 39% approval and 58% disapproval. Wisconsin is 42%, 55%. Michigan is 42-54. Iowa is 42-54. Arizona is 45-51. Pennsylvania is 45-52. Ohio is 46-50. North Carolina is 46-50. Florida is 48-48, so they're kind of evenly split. Indiana is 49-46. Um, it's a grim picture. Wisconsin, Michigan were critical Midwestern pieces of Trump's electoral college puzzle. He's now deeply unpopular in both states. Pennsylvania was maybe his most surprising win of 2016, and now he's seven points underwater there. 
Perhaps Trump can take solace in his, in his even job approval rating in Florida, but that is the only swing state where the president looks as strong as he did on Election Day 2016. Everyone else, his support has deteriorated. Maybe the most striking finding is in Iowa where Trump beat Hillary Clinton by nearly 10 points. Iowans has approved his job performance by a 12-point margin now. And a farming thing has been hit harder by Trump's trade war. This would suggest that President's cult of personality will not not totally inoculate him from the unpopular parts of his policy agenda. We still have a year and a half to go before the 2020 election. The approval numbers aren't the same as a head-to-head matchup with a specific Democratic candidate. But they do indicate the usual weakness of the president heading into his re-election campaign. So kind of we know now where this, where some of these uh, candidates are standing in terms of each other with regards to Trump. Now we kind of know what some of the big platform things. I know we've seen a lot of legislation. We saw, obviously, gun control. We've seen abortion rights, seen general tax stuff. So we kind of know there's a lot of positions going on right now. And who's say what's going to be like the big issues, but there are some definitely some key ones to think about. So... This is an article from The Guardian, which is, Where do the 2020 Democratic candidates stand on the key issues? So almost two dozen Democratic candidates are vying for the party's nomination to be one to take on Donald Trump in the 2020 race for the White House, setting the stage for the most crowded and fiercely competitive Democratic primaries in decades. Insurgent progressives, established moderates, and everyone in between will be present, sending their visions for America post-Trump future. Here's some of the most pressing issues of the era. On the climate emergency, Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez recently proposed a radical package of reforms known as the Green New Deal, which aims to avert the crisis caused by the climate emergency and income and racial inequality. Several Democrats have signed on to this plan, but others support more moderate action. So here's the people that support the Green New Deal. You have Amy uh, Klobuchar who was a co-sponsor on the Green New Deal. We have Bernie Sanders, who has said the United States must lead the world with a global approach that emphasizes the Green New Deal. And when we do that, we not only address the great environmental crisis of our time, but we make millions of good-paying jobs. Beto O'Rourke also supports it. He said, "Is the best proposal that I've seen to ensure that this planet does not warm another two degrees Celsius, after which we may lose ability to live in places like El Paso. Bill de Blasio said, supports a climate plan for New York, City based on the Green New Deal that would re- focus on renovating buildings. Okay? Cory Booker said, Our plan is in peril and we need to be bold. Elizabeth Warren said, Climate change is real. It threatens all of us and we have have no time to waste to address it head on. Eric Swalwell was a co-sponsor of the Green New Deal and describes it as an important investment in the future of our planet. Jay Inslee released plans with similar characteristics to tackle the climate emergency. Uh, Julian Castro says, We're going to say no to subsidizing big oil and say yes to passing a Green New Deal. Kamala Harris was also a co-sponsor and said she touted it as a bold plan to address an existential threat to our nation. Kristen Gillibrand said these are not new ideas. It is infrastructure, which is wildly bipartisan. More money for mass transit, more money for electric grids, more money for rural water supplies, roads, bridges, and everything. Marianne Williamson said a Green New Deal would provide an overall strategy for how clean energy, sustainable infrastructure, and transportation the National Green Jobs Program can revitalize our economy and utilize our innovative and human capacity to benefit all our people. Those of Mike Gravel, who said the Green New Deal is an ambitious and absolutely necessary plan proposed in the House by Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Pete Buttigieg said, I think it's the right beginning. Seth Moulton said, it was also a co-sponsor, said, I'm proud to work on it to make sure that we get meaningful change. And Tim Ryan says, I embrace a Green New Deal. I just think we have a 
public-private partnership if we're going to get there. You have to align the environmental incentives with financial incentives. So those are ones that say the sports renew deal say the climate crisis needs to be acted upon urgently and rad- radically with the aim of making the U.S. carbon neutral in 10 years. All right, and these are the people that are more moderate. They say that they support the action that climate change is important, but it isn't the main issue we need to fix. Uh, Andrew Yang says he's aligned and on board. Uh, Joe Biden said climate change is an existential threat to our future. Staying in the Paris Agreement is the best way to protect our children and global leadership. John Delaney said the Green New Deal, as it is, has been proposed, is about as realistic as Trump saying that Mexico is going to pay for the wall. It's focused on what's possible, not what's impossible. John Hickenlooper said that's the thinks that the Green New Deal shouldn't be any sort of litmus test for what it takes to be a good Democrat. Michael Bennett says, I'm not going to pass judgment on one way or another on the Green New Deal, but I am deeply concerned. Steve Bullock said, describe it the New Deal as an aspirational and would instead advocate for tangible things that we should start doing now. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard says, I have some great, I have some concerns with the Green New Deal and about some of the vagueness of the language in there, so have not co-sponsored this legislation. And Wayne Messam said, I support the urgency and the end to and the end goal of that proposal, there's no question that we must take immediate action when it comes to climate change. All right, so now we have health care, another big item. So Americans endured the highest health care costs in the world with some of the worst outcomes, leading to near universal calls for reform. reform sorry. Some Democratic candidates proposed expanding the Affordable Care Act, better known as Obamacare, while others argued that the U.S. should institute a European-style single-payer system for every American. So... People who support Medicare for all, which is, uh, say, healthcare is human right, and as such, the government should provide it to every American regardless of ability to pay. This would replace all private health insurance. Andrew Yang said healthcare should be a basic right for all Americans. Bernie Sanders says Medicare is a successful model for American healthcare. We can, we must, and we will expand it to cover everyone. Bill de Blasio says, I'm New York, or in New York, we're working to guarantee healthcare for all. Healthcare is a right, not a privilege. Eric Swalwell said we need a Medicare for all universal health guarantee. Julian Castro said, I believe that we need universal health care that we should do Medicare for all in this country. Kristen Gillibrand said, I believe that health care should be a right and not a privilege. Marianne Williams said, I robustly support high quality universal coverage for every American, including a Medicare for all model. Mike Gravel said institute a single-payer system for all Americans and tax-paying permanent residents, irrespective of income and employment status. And Tulsi Gabbard said we need a system that puts people first out of the profits of insurance and pharmaceutical companies. Medicare for All Act is an important step forward. People have the public option. The government should provide health care for those who are unable to pay for private insurance, but those who want to keep private insurance would be able to do so. So we have Amy Kulak, uh, Amy. Klobuchar said the smartest transition right now would be to do a public option and you could do it by expanding Medicaid. You can expand Medicare. But Oroks had proposed a plan called Medicare for America to allow more people to buy their health insurance on the ACA market. Cory Booker said I stand by supporting Medicare for all, but I'm also a pragmatist. Pragmatist, sorry. We're not going to pull health insurance from 150 million Americans. Elizabeth Warren said supports Medicare for all, but has indicated she's open to multiple options for providing affordable health care. Jay Inslee said signed a public option to law in Washington State where he was governor and said it was a step towards achieving universal health care. Sean Hickenlooper said Medicare for all calls for dismantling the current system. There are less of measures that could help achieve universal health care. Kamal Harris signed on to the Medicare for all bill but has stated that private insurance should still have a role. 
Michael Bennett said, I think Bernie Sanders believes Medicare for All's exactly the right thing to do for this country. I think he's wrong. Pete Buttigieg said, has proposed a Medicare for All would... A Medicare for All Who Want It system, which would include a role for private insurers. Seth Moulton said, we need to make sure that everyone in America has access to quality, affordable health care. I don't think we do that by forcing everyone onto a government one-size-fits-all program. Seems reasonable. Tim Ryan expressed support for single-payer, but does not want to call it that. And Wayne Messam said, expressed support for single-payer, but has argued for a system that would provide a choice. And then we have some other people who believe that we should improve Obamacare. The Affordable Care Act, better known as Obamacare, uses government subsidies and private health insurance. This is the right idea and should be built upon. Joe Biden said, when the ACA became law and health coverage was extended to millions of people, it meant we had finally decided as a nation that health care is a right for all and not a privilege for the few. John Delaney said, my new plan would protect the reforms delivered by the Affordable Care Act, including guaranteed coverage of pre-existing conditions and essential health benefits and would make access truly universal. Steve Bullock said, Bullock said, there are any number of different paths to affordable quality health care. On abortions, reproductive rights are being eroded at the state and federal level. While all Democratic 2020 candidates are pro-choice, some argue that federal government should only protect a woman's right to abortion. Others say that government should go further by providing federal funds to help women pay for the procedure. So federal funds should pay for the abortion. Women have a right to choose to have an abortion. I should be protected and funded by the federal government. And those who believe that are Amy Klobuchar, Andrew Yang, Bernie Sanders, Beto O'Rourke, Bill de Blasio, Cory Booker, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Eric Swalwell, Jay Inslee, Joe Biden, John Delaney, John Hickenlooper, Julian Castro, Kamala Harris, Kristen Gillibrand, uh, Marion Williamson, Michael Bennett, Pete Buttigieg, Steve Moulton, Steve Bullock, and Tim Ryan. The only people who say that abortion should remain legal, the federal government should protect Roe v. Wade, but public funds should not be used to pay for reproductive health are Mike Gravel, Tulsi Gabbard, and Wayne Messam. And no one is anti-abortion. So it seems the majority of people think the federal fund should go to pay for an abortion. Take with that what you will. So on taxes, rising inequality has led many to question a tax system that disproportionately benefits the wealthiest Americans. In response, some candidates have proposed higher marginal tax rates, a repeal of the Republican tax law, and estate and wealth taxes. So people believe that we should increase taxes on big companies and the most wealthy. The percent of the major cause of Americans' problem and should be heavily taxed. People who say that are Bernie Sanders, who supports expanding the estate tax to including those who inherit over $3.5 million. Elizabeth Warren proposed an ultra-millionaire tax, a 2% tax on fortunes over $50 million. It would apply to around 75,000 U.S. households, and Warren said it would raise $2.75 trillion over 10 years. It might gravel platforms include repatriation of all wealth in offshore tax havens, raising the marginal tax rate institution of a tax on all financial transactions. People who think that everyone needs uh, increased tax, everyone needs to pay their way to help the country progress. Those are Amy Klobuchar, who says supports raising the corporate tax rate to 25%. Andrew Yang, who does not agree with a wealth tax, argues for a VAT tax as a way to get income that corporations hide. But her work supports a wealth tax. Bill Blasio attempted to pass the millionaire's tax in New York City. Corey Booker says supports raising the estate tax to 2009 levels. Jay Inslee supports repealing Trump tax cuts and reeling back tax breaks to fossil fuel companies. Joe Biden supports moderate tax reform, providing... More federal funding for infrastructure projects and making the tax code less friendly to investors while expanding tax credits for low-income families. John Delaney supports taxing capital gains at the same rate as income, 
reversing Republican tax cuts and raising corporate tax rate to 27%. John Hickenlooper supports repealing Trump's tax cuts, doubling the federal tax credit, and ending tax loopholes and tax income and capital gains at the same rate. Julian Castro supports increasing marginal tax rates. Kamala Harris supports repealing Republican tax law and levying taxes on large financial institutions. Kristen Gillibrand supports taxing Wall Street transactions. Marion Williamson supports a top marginal tax rate where the rich pay their fair share of taxes. Michael Bennett rejects the Republican tax cuts. Pete Buttigieg putatively supports a wealth tax, estate tax, and tax on financial trades. Seth Moulton supports taxing capital gains at the same rate as income and reversing Republican tax cuts. Tim Ryan says we need to talk about reform. Let's fix these systems. Tulsi Gabbard rejected Republican tax cuts, has supported increasing taxes on the wealthiest 5% of Americans to pay for Medicare for all, and Wayne Messam would repeal Trump's tax cuts. Uh, and then we have one person who is, uh, for decreasing taxes, we're all paying too much. Let's deliver actual reduced taxes. Eric Swalwell says we'll give businesses tax rates based on performance and profit sharing and, and uh, equity sharing. On gun control, mass shootings continue to dominate the headlines, and this uh, has led to growing calls for increased gun control. Some gates have signaled support for a complete ban on assault weapons, while others have believed that background checks should be more expansive. So we have people who believe we should ban assault weapons. We have uh, Amy Klobuchar, Bernie Sanders, Beto O'Rourke, Cory Booker, Elizabeth Warren, Eric Swalwell, Jay Inslee, Joe Biden, John Delaney, Julian Castro, Seth Moulton, Pete Buttigieg, Marianne Williamson, Kristen Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, Steve Bullock, and Tulsi Gabbard. Bans all weapons elements would have been used in mass shootings would not be available for purchase. People think we should tighten the restrictions on gun sales. Current regulations around gun controls are too loose and they need tightening. Andrew Yang supports laws that would prevent dangerous individuals from owning guns and increased mental health resources to those who need it. Bill de Blasio called on cities' pension funds to divest from assault weapons manufacturing. Michael Bennett supports ban on high-capacity magazines while in the Senate. And Mike Gravel is not a question of outlawing guns. It's a question of background checks. It's a question of limiting automatic weapons so it's not taking guns away from people under their Second Amendment right. And no one is supportive of the status quo. On, on big tech, big tech companies such as Facebook, Google, Apple, and Amazon have carved out monopolies, mishandled data, and privacy, but slow to address misinformation for Facebook in particular remain vulnerable to foreign political interference. With serious consequences for democracy, some believe they should be regulated or even split apart. People who think they should break up them up are the solution to the big problem of big tech monopolies are the companies to be broken up. We have Bernie Sanders. We have a monopolistic and increasingly monopolistic society where you have to handle very large corporations having much too much power over consumers. Elizabeth Warren says we need to stop this generation of big tech companies from throwing around their political power to shape the rules in their favor and throwing around their economic power to snuff out or buy up every potential competitor. Mike Gravel says break up large tech companies. Immediately these companies pose a dire threat not just to American democracy but to international peace and security. Facebook, Google, Amazon, and others pose... Dangers due to the power they wield over information and content. Tulsi Gabbard said, Absolute power corrupts absolutely. I agree with Senator Warren on the need to break up big tech companies like Facebook, Google, and Amazon. People think they need more regulation. Companies like Facebook and Google should not be allowed to regulate themselves, particularly with regard to market power, privacy, censorship, and national security. Amy Klobuchar says, Has made oversight of, of a big tech a key campaign issue. For too long, the big tech companies have been telling you, Don't worry, we've got your back. While your identities are being stolen, your data is mined. Andrew Yang says, Yang's campaign secretary has said Warren's plans go too far. 
But O'Rourke, I'm not sure if breaking up Facebook into five components parts makes as much sense as regulating them. Cory Brooks says, we need a president that's going to enforce antitrust laws in this country, and I will be that person. James Lee says, I do believe we need to rein a considerable number of corporate practices. I believe we need to rein in the abuse of our privacy. John Delaney says, we need to pass laws requiring disclosure <clears throat> of privacy-related issues issue beyond your portable devices, which is what even narrowly-minded, uh, which is what everyone narrowly thinks. John Hickenlooper says, you said it's time to think about cracking out on monopolies and mergers, according to the Washington Post. Julian Kessler says, I agree that we have too much stronger in terms of antitrust enforcement. Kamala Harris says, she said that breaking up Facebook was an idea that deserved to be seriously considered. And Pete Buttigieg said, in some respects, they behave monopolistically. Whether using dominance of one market to try and get dominance in another, then I think that means they need to be broken up or there might need to be prevention of a further deal or acquisition. And no one says, let them self-regulate. On impeachment, if we have comments of the president clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said that. Those words spoken to Robert Mueller, who led a two-year investigation of Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. election, every night a battle within the Democratic Party over whether Congress should begin impeachment proceedings against Donald Trump. People who think we should begin impeachment proceedings... Uh, Mueller has made it clear that Trump was not exonerated by his investigation. Rule of law must be upheld. Uh, Better work said we should begin impeachment proceedings, but it's an incredibly serious, sober decision. Corbett said Robert Mueller's statements makes it clear Congress's legal and moral obligation to begin impeachment proceedings immediately. Elizabeth Warren, Mueller leaves no doubt. The Constitution leaves it up to Congress to act, and that's impeachment. Eric Swalwell said, prepare for impeachment. That's what I've told my colleagues. John Hickenlooper said, at this point, I think it would be crazy not to go forward and open an impeachment inquiry. Julian Cash said Robert Mueller's report made it abundantly clear the ball is now in Congress's court. It's time to begin impeachment proceedings. Kamala said the president obstructed justice, then hired an attorney general to clean up the crime scene. We need to begin impeachment proceedings and we need a new commander-in-chief. Kristen Gillibrand said we can't let the president defy basic accountability because our measures built into our constitution. People just said the Mueller report is as close to an impeachment referral as it gets. Seth Moult said Mueller did his job. Now it's time to do ours. Impeachment hearing should begin tomorrow. Tim Ryan said it's time for impeachment proceedings. Wayne Messam said based on what's available, I believe the president should be placed under impeachment proceedings. Let the weight of the full report carry out the justice the American people deserve. Amy Klobuchar said this is for non-committal. Impeachment is one of the options Democrats could pursue to hold Trump to account. Amy Klobuchar said impeachment proceedings are one way to investigate and hold his administration accountable if his White House keeps stonewalling. Bernie Sanders, I believe the Judiciary Committee should begin impeachment inquiries. That is, inquiries on impeachment, determine whether or not Trump is committed impeachable offenses. Jay Inslee said, I believe the course he is on makes impeachment inevitable. Joe Biden said, no one would relish what would certainly be a divisive impeachment process, but that it may be unavoidable if the administration continues on its path. John Delaney says, if we continue to allow this president to be unchecked and manipulate the truth, we will forever alter our democracy for the worse. Michael Bennett says, I'm not ready to say the president should be impeached. Steve Wilkes says, I support Congress doing full investigations as they should. People who say don't impeach. Impeachment would be a distraction that could help Trump at the ballot box. Democrats should focus on winning the White House. Andrew Yang said, focus on beating Trump at the ballot box and solving the problem that got him elected in the first place. Bill de Blasio said, we should be thinking about the issues facing us right now. Marion Williams says Trump is goading us to impeach him. Mike Gravel says we don't want we won't be doing tweets about the Mueller report because it's pointless. Tulsi Gabbard says I don't think that we should defeat Donald Trump through impeachment. 
On campaign finance, a political action committee or a PAC fundraises and spends money to help elect or defeat a candidate. Some are sponsored by corporations, others by trade or business associations. Each PAC can contribute up to 5000 to a candidate per election, but supercaps can raise unlimited amounts and wield a considerable influence. Many Democratic 2020 candidates have been rejecting PAC funding with more important place on small donations from individuals. So pledge to reject PAC money. These candidates have said they won't take funding from any PACs. We have Beto O'Rourke, Elizabeth Warren, Julian Castro, Mike Gravel, and Tulsi Gabbard. Pledge to reject corporate PAC money. We have Amy Klobuchar, Andrew Yang, Bernie Sanders, Cory Booker, Eric Swalwell, Jay Inslee, Joe Biden, John Delaney, John Hickenlooper, Kamala Harris, Kristen Gillibrand, Marion Williamson, Michael Bennett, Pete Buttigieg, and Seth Moulton. Those who take PAC money and has not clearly rejected it, we have Bill de Blasio, Steve Bullock, Tim Ryan, and Wayne Messam. On funding for border security, more than 57% of Americans don't approve of Trump's administration's hardline immigration policies, according to a recent poll. Democrats oppose Trump's pledge to build a wall, attempt to militarize the southern border, family separations, crackdowns on asylum seekers, and aggressive deportation. 2020 candidates largely focus on offering past due citizenship for undocumented people, but have not yet laid out plans to manage the record number of Central American families arriving to claim asylum. So keep current levels of funding. Existing funds should be used more effectively. We have Cory Booker, Elizabeth Warren, Jay Inslee, and John Hickenlooper. Those who think we should increase funding, we have Amy Klobuchar, Andrew Yang, Bernie Sanders, Beto O'Rourke, Eric Swalwell, John Delaney, Julian Castro, Kamala Harris, Marion Williamson, Pete Buttigieg, Seth Moulton, Tim Ryan, and Wayne Messam. And that is it for a lot of the those points. And... I think that's a good stopping point for this week. Obviously, there's plenty more to discuss, and as we get closer and closer to the 2020 election, that's, I think, what this show will be focusing a lot on. Next week, we'll be talking all about Trump, where he stands, what his chances are, and if any other thing happens involving his little circle um, before next week's episode. We'll talk about it there. But that'll do it for episode 23 of Poor 360 on our Democratic 2020 candidates, their platforms, and their polling. I am Andrew Poor, and you guys have a great week. You've been listening to Poor360. You can find us on the socials at Poor360 on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us and all the other podcasts on our network at journeyintocomics.com or early access at patreon.com slash journeyintocomics. You can find us on all podcasting platforms like CastBox, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and many others.